This is the last Sunday of our Hope Rising series that we've been in in Revelation. I'm so excited that we finally, we're finally getting into the end of it. And uh, it's, it's, it's been, I hope it's been as uh, uh, eye-opening and, and encouraging and everything for you as it has been for me. I've really enjoyed this series. It's stretched me a lot. Um, and so let, before we kind of dive in, what I want to do, <coughs> pardon me, is I want to uh, kind of recap where we've been in this series. So if you're, if you're following along from one of the Bibles from the back, you are going to be on page 1041, uh, which is pretty much the last page of your Bible. Uh, so we're at the end of the book today, at the end of the book. So, um, so you know, we've talked all along about the, this book of Revelation, and this is your first time with us. Um, you should seriously go back and listen to the rest of them because... Uh, I think I think you'll find it quite eye-opening. It's not, it's not as scary and <clears throat> uh, intimidating a book as maybe we've led it up to be. And um, and what we've tried to do through this series is to really kind of uncrazy this book and really uh, focus in on the encouragement that that was meant to be there all along. Uh, instead, what what has happened over the centuries is we've taken this book and just kind of put it in this space of controver- controversy and debate and and uh, and uh, just wackadoo ideas and, you know, just everything. And so um, to kind of pull that down. So this is what I want to do this morning before we dive into the last two chapters of this book. Are you good? You need some water? I got some water. All right. Good. All right. Good. So uh, guys got those, got those communion cracker hiccups going. So. <laughs> All right. I, 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 okay. So, so th- this is what I want to focus on this morning is what we know for sure. What we know for sure. Let's kind of let's kind of rebuild what's been happening through all throughout this book. What we know for sure. Now, there's a lot that we don't know for sure. There's a lot of that very symbolic, very rich language that that lends itself to multiple interpretations and different ideas and you know different viewpoints. And that's all well and good. And and, and feel free to dive into that stuff and study it and study it hard and everything. But let's let's focus in on what we know for sure because I think there's enough here that we know for sure to to really uh, give us a lot to live by. So the first thing that we know for sure is this, and this comes right out of chapter one, is that Jesus right now, he is risen, he is glorified, and he is reigning on high. He is the king. He is the king. He is our king. He's the king of the the universe. Uh, He's the king of the jungle. He's the king of of everything, right? And so Jesus uh, is is in this glorified state, uh, resurrected. And so when we talk about resurrection, it's very important that you, you, you increase your understanding of that word resurrection. Resurrection is not just simply making something dead, taking something dead and making it alive. It's so much more than that. Resurrection really is all about how um, uh, God is in the process of making all things new. And the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits of that process. In other words, that we can look to Jesus and expect the same thing for our life and for our world. And so when it, Jesus is in this very glorified, powerful, resurrected state, and that's what we have. It, it's, 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 it's not just becoming, moving from death to life. It is, it is, it is moving from a very, um, pale version of humanity that we live in right now because we live in this sinful fallen world and we're all sinful fallen people and it's god elevating humanity to the place that he always intended it to be anyway we will be truly human for the first time when we enter into that resurrected state so that's where jesus is now he's gone before us in that and and we'll follow him in that jesus is risen 
He's glorified and he's reigning. So the second point, that this is what we know for sure, is that Jesus desires for the church to glorify him and to offer hope and love to the world. And that's kind of what chapters 2 and 3 were about when he writes these letters to the churches. And he's saying, I need you to be healthy churches. I need you to get this right because so much hinges on whether or not you get this right. That like, like the world is watching. Do you guys realize that? Do you realize that fact that when it comes to us as fo- not only as individual followers of Jesus Christ, but collectively as the church, the world is watching and how we do this is important. It's important. This is not some casual, small thing that we kind of throw together and hope, you know, that's not what this is about. It is important because people are watching and lives are on the line, all right? Third, third thing that we know for sure is this, that God has a plan to finally deal with the problem of sin and evil. And that plan centers on Jesus, who's presented there in chapters 4 and 5 as our king and also the suffering servant, both the lion and the, the, the slaughtered lamb. And he alone is completely worthy of our praise. He alone is completely worthy of our praise. That God has a plan to find, you know, if, if you're that person that's been sitting back going, going, yeah, but what about all the evil in this world? The answer is God has a plan and he's already begun to roll out that plan and he will finally and once and for all deal with the problem of sin and evil in this world. Justice will prevail. And that plan centers on Jesus Christ. And, and, and that all ties back into what we talked about earlier with the communion and everything else that Jesus, you know, his work, uh, you know, his ministry here on earth and his crucifixion and his resurrection, the whole thing, that is, that is just the beginning, so to speak, of, of that plan. And, and, and there's more to come. There's more to come. The next thing that we know for sure is this, is that there, have, there always have been and always will be human forces that stand opposed to God's kingdom. And they deal in warfare, economic injustice, death, and immorality. They serve the evil agenda of the enemy or the Satan that the Bible talks about, whether they realize it or not. Whether they, yay, Satan. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know what that was. So, <laughs> they, serve the, they serve the evil agenda of, of Satan, whether they realize it or not. Okay? And so, so this is just, you know, when we, when we talk about these, these forces and, and, and the Bible describes them, Revelation describes them in different terms. At one point, they describe them as, as, as a couple of beasts and, you know, that sort of thing. But these forces, uh, they can be governmental, they can be tribal, they can be whatever, but these powerful forces that, that oppress people around them and, and, and occasionally oppress the entire globe, um, these, these things have always, always have existed. This kind of evil has, always has existed. It always will exist as long as we're on this side of the kingdom. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, they, they are agents of Satan. They are agents of Satan, whether they realize it or not. The next thing that we know for sure is this, is that God's faithful followers, uh, and, and we identify God's faithful followers as true Israel or the church. In other words, when I say true Israel, I'm not talking about a geographical place on a map. I'm talking about those who are truly the children of God, that Paul in, in all of his, in Romans and his other epistles, he spends a lot of time redefining, Jesus did this in his ministry too, redefining what true Israel is. Over and over, we, we hear things like said like, like you think just because you're Abraham's children that you have some sort of lock on eternity. Well, you don't. What matters is your faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have been faithful to Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have accept, accepted his free gift of salvation, that is true Israel. Today, we would just simply call it the church. The church. So God's faithful followers, 
will suffer for the cause of Christ, and their witness will be a catalyst in many ways, too many, I should, should be too many, a catalyst to many in this world embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the, the Revelation describes this whole thing where, where faithful followers of Jesus Christ, will, will, there will be suffering. Now, we're so detached from that idea of suffering here in America where we have freedom of religion and things like that, but you have to remember that we are not the only Christians in the world. We are not, we're not the only, far from it actually, we're not the only Christians in the world. And there are brothers and sisters around this globe today, in this day and time, are losing their lives for their faith. And just because we have the uh, luxury and the blessing to gather together in a big old room that says church on the outside with no fear of persecution for that does not mean that's everybody else's story. That there are people who are giving their lives and our role as, as, as people living in this country where we have that freedom for right now, our role is to lift up our brothers and sisters who don't have that freedom. How many times was Paul going around taking up a collection for the saints who were being persecuted in other places around the globe and things like that? And we need to make sure that we are lifting up our brothers and sisters around the globe. Amen? Amen. And the beautiful thing about that is that it somehow, Revelation tells us, that the world looks at that suffering, even though the world, you know, those outside the faith oftentimes are the ones who cause that suffering. They see that faithful witness of that level of suffering and their hearts are pricked and their hearts are touched and they, 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 they somehow, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit churns all that up and many, many, many will turn to faith in Jesus Christ because of what they see, because of the way they see the, the church suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, this is the other thing that we know for sure. Evil in this world will continue to increase until it can be unquestionably judged. Unquestionably judged. And what that means is like, why, if God is good and Christ is on the throne, why is all this evil going on in the world? Why do we still have all these wars and, you know, uh, horrible atrocities? And there's an idea in Revelation and then other places in Scripture too where, where there are people who are so obviously in need of judgment and God delays judgment because in, because in his way of looking at things, he wants for that evil to kind of fully ripen so that when he's had enough and he says enough is enough and he comes to judge and to set everything right, no one will be surprised. No one will be questioning whether or not they should be judged. It will be obvious. It will be obvious. And so that's kind of the state where we live right now. And here we go. Another thing that we know for sure is this. Jesus will return to reign over all creation and judge the world. Jesus is going to physically, personally return and, and, and establish his kingdom here on earth, and he will reign over all. He will reign over all, and he will judge the world. And the other thing we know for sure is this, is that God, in his righteous wrath, will judge this world in holiness and in love. God in his, so there is justice coming. All the questions about why all the evil and everything else, there is justice coming and, and it will be judged and it will be punished. And those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there's a reckoning coming. There's a reckoning. Now, when, you, when, we, when we make a statement like that, that in his, in his wrath, he's going to judge in love. That may sound kind of at odds, you know, two ideas that are kind of at odds with each other. We talked about before that, that without God's wrath, he cannot be loved. Without God's wrath, he cannot be loved because a loving God, you know, how many people have you talked to 
in your life that have asked, if, if, if God is really a loving God, then how can all this evil, evil exist? That's actually a great question. It's act, and the answer to that is, he can't. If he is genuinely loving, then this kind of evil cannot go unpunished that we see all over this world. And so it is because of his love for us, for his, the, his beautiful creation, it's because of his love that it also causes him to display his wrath and his judgment. Think about if you're a parent in the room, think about how quick you will come to the rescue of your child when someone is treating them unfairly or abusing them or whatever else. You love them so much that that will stir up anger in you you didn't even know existed, right? And that's God and his love for us as well. The last thing here that we know for sure so far into this is this, that the enemy or the Satan and his agents will be soundly defeated and eternally punished. When we talk about the, the evil forces in this world and, and the ultimate uh, source of that evil, uh, what the Bible calls Satan, uh, that they are defeated, defeated. And it's not even a close battle. The way Revelation describes it is, is the forces of evil kind of gathered together for one last stand against God, and God just simply shows up, and it's over. And it's just over. There's not bye, 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 but no, God just simply shows his face, and okay, it's, okay, okay, we're laying stuff down now. That's all, that's all good. Right? It's just over, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the way this plays out. Now, when we dive into the two chapters that we're dealing with today, the last chapters of the book and the last chapters of the book, um, uh, we are, we're, we're looking at this concept of, we, we've, we, there's been a lot of talk of judgment and wrath and evil and, and, and dealing with that and, 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 and that whole story. And now we see the flip side of that coin, which is what awaits the people of God. What awaits the people of God? Now, we, we've kind of looked at what awaits those who are far from God, those who have stood opposed to God, but what awaits us who are followers of Jesus Christ? What's our eternal destiny look like? And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's a great, great thing to read. Okay, so let's, let's just dive in and read this. Revelation, start, we'll start with chapter 21 and verse 1. <coughs> oh, pardon, I have a cough right in that mic. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. All right, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John speaking, the, the, the writer of this book. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I, I, I can't, um, uh, you know, these might be my favorite passages in the whole Bible, this right here. And that is such a beautiful d- description of what we have waiting for us. I think it's also a very misunderstood. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But I want to just point out before we move on to the next verses that what's being described here is not all of us going to heaven. What's being described here is heaven coming to all of us. That's a very critical distinction. I don't want you to miss it. We're going to get into more of that in just a second. All right. All right. Uh, Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We talked about that second death a little bit last week. But the, the concept here is, again, that, um, that God, that all are welcome who will drink from the water of life that Jesus Christ offers. All are welcome. But these people who fall into these categories of, of um, faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and on and on and on, and all these people. And did you notice the very first one he said there? The cowardly. The cowardly. Does anybody think it might be a big deal that we actually take a stand for Jesus Christ? I kind of think it is a big deal. I think when he's talking about the cowardly here, he's, I don't think he's talking about, you know, people who are just emotionally predis- predispositioned towards a lack of, you know, courageousness. Or, or what I think he's talking about people who claimed faith in Jesus Christ, but their life showed no faithfulness at all. They were just cowardly in their faith. They never took a stand. They never took a stand. I don't know what that means for your life and for, for my life. I think for my life, it just simply means I, need to, I, I don't need to cower in fear when I'm put on the, the spot in terms of my faith. I need to, like Jesus stood tall for you on Calvary. You need to stand tall for him from time to time. Again, I don't know what that looks like in your context. I don't know what it looks like in your family. What it looks like in your family probably, probably looks differently than what it looks like in my family. What it looks like at your workplace definitely probably looks differently than in my workplace, right? So, so I, I, you know, I, I know that for a lot of people that, that causes a lot of, uh, you know, um, just just uneasiness and fear and whatever else. Can I just say, I think one of the most stretching things that you can do in your life is to allow the Holy Spirit to pull you out of that space of intimidation and just meekly but boldly take a stand for Jesus Christ. Take a stand. It's important. It's important. All right. Verse 9 says this, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. We talked about those bowls several weeks ago. Saying, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And, and on, the, on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this city that, that carries the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It also carries the names of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. It's this idea, again, like we talked about, or it's true Israel. This is the place where those who have been faithful all throughout history, 
before Christ, after Christ, or all those people who have been faithful to Jesus Christ, it's where they will dwell, and it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. Verse 22. Skip down to verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it uh, the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I love this this image of this city. Uh, And again, keep in mind too, that when, when we're all throughout Revelation, this has all been very rich, what they call apocalyptic, very symbolic language, okay? So if you're looking to construct a physical city, you know, based on this description and, you know, this big giant cube thing, you know, I, I think you're kind of, it's, again, an exercise in missing the point. But, but one, of the, one of the things I do want to point out that he says here is that this city will have no gates. There will be no darkness. There will be the, the, the God and, and the Lamb will be the light of this new of this new heaven and this new earth. And I think it's again this idea of there will be no need for us to fear. We don't have to lock the doors. We don't have to, uh, you know, we don't need security lights. We don't need those types of thing anymore. There will be no need for fear that we will be completely, completely secure, completely, completely safe in this new kingdom. All that intrigue. Think about how much um, rea- kind of reactionary fear uh, kind of things are built naturally into your life that you don't even think about anymore. Think, think, think of passwords and, and uh, locks on doors and, um, you know, watching your kids and teaching them stranger danger and, you know, all this kind of like we, there is so much kind of reaction to, you know, possible fearful circumstances that is just naturally built in. To everything, we, there'll be no need for 911 in the new kingdom. No need at all. Like everything, like all of this sin that just exists, that we, it's, can you, I think we miss this point so much. Sin is the water we swim in, it's the air we breathe. Do you get that? Like everything about this world is dictated by sin. Like the way we act the way we behave, the way we structure our lives, the, th- the lessons that we teach our kids, the, the, all of this stuff. There's so much of this world that is just driven and dictated by sin. It, it's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. It'll all be different in the new heaven and the earth, new earth. There's the, what's that line there at the end where it says, uh, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. For anyone who does what is detestable or false, uh, uh, but only those who are written in the Lamb's uh, book of life. Nothing unclean will ever enter. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, uh, he wrote this book called, uh, I think it's The Great Divorce. Such a great book. And The Great Divorce is um, him like putting uh, pen to paper and writing down a dream that he had. And he had this dream of heaven. And in C.S. Lewis's dream of heaven, there, were, uh, there was, there was a, a heaven and there was a hell, Right? Uh, and I won't go into all the descriptions, but one of the descriptions that, that's really stuck in my mind is that there were people who tried to run towards heaven, 
that were not that were far from God, that were not followers of Jesus Christ. They tried to run towards heaven, and as they even approached that great city, as their feet touched the grass, the grass were, was like knives to them, like they could not even even approach it because they weren't built for it. They weren't built for it. And it, again, it's this whole idea that that it will be something so completely different, so completely separate than what we are so, we're so used to now. We we just breathe in all this this you know sinful environment around us. It's become natural to us. That won't be natural anymore. God will set all things right. He'll make all things new. All things new. So this is the big point for this for this chapter here that I want to make. Is that this heaven is a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> heaven is a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. This is actually not my. It's, it's a it's a quote from a guy by the name of N. T. Wright. N. T. Wright says heaven is, is is a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. And what he means by that is this: when we talk about heaven, we have this idea of dying and going to heaven. That you know Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take us all to heaven. All that kind of stuff. And, and that's kind of the way we tend to think about. And and, and just as a few weeks ago, maybe it was last week. I talked about a lot of our ideas about hell are actually built um, not on Scripture, but on other sources, you know, um, you know, other, you know, classical literature and things like that. And, and it would do us good to get back to what Scripture actually says. The same, I think, can be true, uh, said, uh, truly said of, about heaven, that a lot of our ideas about heaven, you know, if, if, for most people, if you talk to them about heaven, heaven's that place where we go and you get a robe and you get a harp and you get to sit on a cloud all day long and all that kind of stuff. You, you've all seen Bugs Bunny. You know what it looks like. And, and so you're like, that's heaven, right? And, 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 and for a lot of us, we've been so poorly taught about what heaven is going to be like that I, I know this is what I know to be true. I've said this before. I know this to be true. There are some of you in this room, you love Jesus Christ, but you're not so sure about heaven. You're a little worried. Am I going to like heaven? Am I going to like it? Well, what about, you know, because the Bible set, has some kind of weird descriptions about heaven. And, and will, I, will I know people the same way I know? Will I know my kids and my spouse and all this kind of stuff like that? And, and, and it's like, I don't know. I, I, and here's the thing is you, let, you all live in California. Oklahomans have no problem rejoicing about heaven, right? <laughs> right? We have no problem. There's nothing to see in Oklahoma, nothing at all. And so, but in California, you like it's the most beautiful spot in the whole world. And, and it's just this awesome, awesome, beautiful place. And so, and Texas too, for you guys, to Texas. So, um, so on, on the not so pretty side, I was, anyway. So, anyway, now it's this, uh, the, whole, the whole concept of heaven is just like, I, I'm not sure about going to heaven. And this is what I want to say. When you really look at what the Bible says about this kingdom that we're going to, it's, it's not us going to heaven. Now, let me, let me kind of real quickly, because we're running out of time, but real quickly, I just want to, uh, kind of give you a timeline, a rough timeline, based on what Scripture teaches of how this whole afterlife thing works, okay? And, and, and I don't have time to d- dive into all the theology and everything, but this is kind of the way Scripture describes the afterlife, that those of us who die before Christ comes back, okay? Those of us who die before Christ back, comes back, we will go to the kingdom of heaven. We will be in the presence of God. Okay, so, and, and again, we, I, I, I'm doing this, and that's kind of even misleading in itself, because what we've talked about is that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth, they kind of exist on different planes all around. So, so heaven is not actually up in the clouds. Heaven is actually all around us. It's all around us. It's kind of two different realities that exist, God's kingdom and, the, and this kingdom that we live in. 
And it's been split and severed because of sin in this world. And so when we, when we uh, who, you know, who, are, who will die before Christ com- comes back, when we die, we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our reality will shift. It will change. And we will be in God's presence at that time. And then there, when, when the Lord comes back and God sets all things right and all things are made new, the two kingdoms will once again be fused together, joined together again to where we will be able to suddenly see God's kingdom all around us. We will be in this kingdom of God and all the stuff that's going to take place will take place, but it will, he will set all things right, all things new, all things new. And so what we're talking about today is, is that, that time when all things are set right again. The kingdom of God is restored, where our prayers are finally answered, that we pray, have been praying every week in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, we will finally see God's will done in everything on a day-to-day basis in our existence just as it is in heaven. Just as it is in heaven. And so that's how this all works. So when we, we get to thinking about heaven, going to heaven, what I want you to really keep your mind focused on is the kingdom. The kingdom that God is going to establish here on this earth. And how beautiful. And it's not going to be us in robes and harps sitting on clouds. I think the kingdom of heaven is going to look surprisingly similar, not exactly like, but similar to the kingdom that we're sort of used to living in right now. I think God's presence just comes into this world as, as, as we know it. Everything is set right. There will be no more sin. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more worry. There will be no more fear. There will be no more weeds. There will be no more traffic. There will be none, none of that. You won't ever have to mow your lawn again. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, like, like what, whatever that looks like for you, you know, but, but it will, that's what's going to happen. All things will be set right. All things will be set right. And that's what we have to look forward to. Now, the very last chapter of this book, chapter 22, I want to skip down to verse 6. And it says this, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, (coughs) pardon me, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 17, go down to verse 17, it says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, they say, they say, come. And let the one who hears all of us right now Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. For those of you in the room that are maybe outside of faith in Jesus Christ, you're you're, you're not sure if that's where you want to be or or, or if you're not ready to make that commitment. For those of you who are thirsty, like this is what I know. If you've been here more than a few times, like if if you're still not decided you want to be a person of faith, a Christian, You've been coming back, and, and, and maybe you've been asking yourself, why, why do I like what's going on? I'm not typically a church, churchy type person. Why do I keep coming back? It's because the Holy Spirit's creating a thirst in you. He's creating a thirst in you. He's stirring that up in you, and he says, 
uh, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take that water of life without price. And he says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Listen to this. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. This is John. John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You guys ever wonder why we say amen at the end of prayers? That word amen literally means let it be so. Let it be so. Yes, I agree with this. Let it happen just as you said it. Let it happen just as you promised it would happen. Let the grace of Jesus. Here's here's the truth of, of, of this whole situation. You want to secure your eternity. You want to make sure you're on the right side of this whole situation. You want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it without his grace. There's not one person in this room that can approach God without the grace that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. Not one of us. We need Jesus. This book starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Nothing in this world, nothing in our lives, spiritually speaking, none of this can happen without Jesus. We need him. We need him. So I want to I leave you with this thought. That the people of God are prepared for and praying for Jesus' return. The people of God are prepared for and praying for Jesus' return. Now, everybody in this room, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of our, our followers of God, you've spent at least a little bit of time praying. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you could honestly say you spent some time praying for God's return? Like, could you, like you've spent some time praying that God would actually return, that he would set all things right. I think a lot of us, like I talked about earlier, we've got this kind of hesitancy about eternity. We're not, again, not sure if it's going to be great, not sure we're going to like it. Heaven, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be heaven. (laughs) It's going to be great. You will have purpose there. I believe God will have meaningful, fulfilling work or roles for you in heaven. I believe that, that you, will, you will know yourself and you will be more fully known than you have ever been known before, that everything that is wrong with this world will finally be set right. Will finally be set right. And you don't want to be one of those people on the outside, unable to get through, because the only thing that could have possibly prepared you to, to enter into those gates is the grace of Jesus Christ. And you turn down that gift. It was offered to you over and over and over, and you just turned it down over and over and over again. That's not where you want to be. Let's pray for the return of Christ. Why? Because it's going to be awesome. This is why we do faith. When it comes to you know, why we continue on, why we persevere through all the junk of this world and the junk that happens in our lives. Why do, why do we do this? It's because this, this is our motivation. I, um, a chaplain I used to work for in the army, I was a chaplain assistant, and he had a saying he would say all the time. He would tell people, don't, he'd say, don't lie. Because it'd be a shame to live in hell your whole life and die and go to hell on top of that. I think I think that's 
we, there's some truth there. You've convinced yourself, a lot of you have convinced yourself that this life is heaven, and it's not. This world is not our home. It's not our home. We are travelers. We are sojourners through this. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And this place that you've convinced yourself has some qualities of heaven to it. I'm telling you, it pales in comparison to what the reality of God's kingdom really is. So get yourself ready. Get yourself ready and get as many people as you can ready for that as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you uh, that you have uh, executed a plan to finally, once and for all, deal with the problem of sin and evil in this world. That you have made a way for us to live in a relationship with you who are so holy when we're not. That you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, as not only the perfect sacrifice, but the perfect example of what it means to be truly human. Help us follow that example. Help us follow that example. And so God, this morning, we close out our time together and, and we, we do it by praying that prayer we've been praying for the last 12 weeks now. That you taught us to pray way back 2,000 years ago. Let's all pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we love you. And we do give you all the praise and glory. And we will continue to give you all the praise and glory because you alone deserve it. You alone. And so we pray, even so, Come, come quickly, come quickly. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.